Hello, everybody. I am here today with George, and uh, we are going to be talking about meltdowns, mostly. Um, we're going to try and stay on topic, at least. <laughs> um, but George has a podcast also, and I'm going to let him tell you a little bit about his podcast uh, for a couple minutes here. But I was recently on his podcast as a guest, and had so much fun that I was like, hey, you should come on my podcast too. So uh, here he is. Uh, George, I'll let you take like a couple minutes to just introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about you and your podcast. Hi, everyone. Uh, hi. Thank you, Melissa, for having me on. First of all, uh, Melissa's podcast is one of the pretty much the first actually uh, the first podcast I started listening to before I ended up deciding to start mine. Uh, my podcast is called Unpacking Neuroqueerness. I have almost 100, I have 93, just about, I have 92 now. I'm about to, to do the 93rd episode. Um, and it's crazy. I just uh, started it like six months ago. Um, and uh, it really, the idea originally was to um, educate neurotypicals on autism and what it the how nuanced it is and how it's not um, really uh, it doesn't really line up with the stigmas and stereotypes that we've been told um, you know that society is um, told in media or, or through movies and tv shows and such um so to kind of try to break those stigmas and also try to, um, you know, educate people on, you know, the best ways to interact with autistic people that isn't, you know, putting them in, in stressful situations or trying, like putting um, neurotypical expectations on them. And it actually became, you know, I did uh, many episodes on like microaggressions and uh, masking and um, the double empathy theory um, a, a lot of topics like that um, more educational like to, to bring in neurotypical listeners and then I started talking a lot about my experiences as well with like um, stimming and, and sensory uh, sensitivities and I started doing some reviews for some autism related TV shows um, and it also and then I started hosting people I started hosting other neurodistinct friends of mine um, even um, a few other folks um, uh, I hosted someone that I met through my Instagram page um, a few months ago but even just amongst friends and family, um, you know, and then of course I hosted Melissa recently, but even before then, um, just friends and family, I discovered that I had a lot of neurodistinct friends and family, uh, particularly ADHDers, because um, ADHD is uh, quite um, common. And I feel like it's more known about but it's still there's still a lot of stigma and misconception around ADHD um and so it was really great because then it, the podcast kind of morphed into um 
you know, uh, also very good relatable content for other neurodistinct folks. And uh, I've gotten a lot of um, good feedback on it lately. I've, I've heard that it's, it's helping out uh, a lot of people and making them feel more heard and seen. So um, yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, it's a great podcast. And uh, for those of you who uh, want to have more content about the neuro distinct experience that's a good it's a good one to listen to um and to get uh the perspective of someone who was kind of socialized male growing up and and being neurodivergent because I sort of give the the female perspective and you know gender isn't exactly binary uh but I feel like our experiences can be very binary when you're socialized a certain way or viewed a certain way by society uh which we all know how problematic that can be, um, especially for us being um, neurodivergent people. But that's a that's a big topic for another day, probably. <laughs> so before we get into talking about meltdowns, um, tell us a little bit about your um, sort of like your history as a neurodivergent person, as far as like how old were you when you sort of discovered your autism? Um, you said you do you have an ADHD diagnosis or you even suspect you relate a little bit with ADHD? I suspect ADHD as well. Mm -hmm. uh, I do have an autism diagnosis and that what I got at age 16. Um, it was actually down in Sao Paulo, Brazil, because I was living there at the time. My mom's family is from Brazil. And um, it, um, it came to be because... I was having a lot of um, struggles, social, like social struggles in school. Mm -hmm. um, and it, it had been something that I had had for a long time. And there were like other things that there were signs early on. Like I was actually um, misdiagnosed uh, early on. I think it was with... Uh, nonverbal learning disorder or something it was something else I remember like in my early early on like when I was actually so it's kind of like I've, I've been back and forth I was born in Brazil but then I actually lived here like came here as a baby lived here till I was about San Francisco uh, till I was about nine and then I actually went back to Brazil till I was 18 and then I came back here so Actually, early on when I was living in California, um, they, uh, I think I was, I was misdiagnosed, um, and from what I was told by my mom, um, that I did have some neuromotor uh, struggles, which I still have today, and then I also had some speech delays. Um, and so there were like these other little things, but they didn't really get proper they weren't I was like prop they weren't properly picked up early on like we like my family talked to um professionals and such like trying to get a diagnosis for something but it seems like no one was really and probably because there was still back then in the 90s even more stigma around autism no one was really saying autism um and so it wasn't until later when I was actually living in Brazil already at 16. Um, and I was having a lot of trouble in school, mainly socially. Um, 
and like understanding other people and and like you know being also being able to build friendships because there was such a barrier there was like something going on this this barrier socially and no one could like figure it out um and then I was diagnosed um with what at the time was called Asperger's syndrome um and uh you know at the time of the diagnosis I mean it was there was that part that it was like it made a lot of sense just looking at like oh like being um like the criteria like being uh really good at certain things or or like uh like having these special interests in certain subjects but then struggling socially it was all about the balance of like high, um high intelligence but uh the struggling socially uh, and that, then I came to realize it is socially in neurotypical um, circles. Yes. Um, but anyway, <laughs> the, the criteria doesn't tell you that. Um, exactly. And and so and everything and so there was that relatability, and I think um, you know, my family was very like supportive of you know trying to get me to um, digest like content about it and learn more about it and everything but I think I wasn't really ready at that time and it wasn't really helpful because like I mean there were some things that were helpful but it was like the problem is that a lot of what I was reading about it at the time um was like very um pathological or it was just there it's like this list of um of traits or whatever it's not very relatable because you don't have like that lived experience um you know uh detail or whatnot it's like it's just like reading a list or whatever it's or I don't know and then there were some I don't know it was just like especially because this was like more than 10 years ago now so um I remember not looking in much like into it and then uh eventually it started to like make more sense and um it wasn't really until maybe 2018 or something that I, I was already back here in the U.S. and I started working with a therapist that was a lot more neurodiversity affirming and then she kind of she like really introduced me to the concept of neurodiversity and everything and all this stuff and like these terms and like speaking a different language and this is why I don't understand neurotypicals a lot of times it's because it's just, we're like speaking a different language um and just a lot of things started to make more sense and then my meltdowns specifically I started to read there were things that I started to realize oh that's what that is and so with my meltdowns um it was like I knew I had noticed like from early on that I did have these really intense outbursts. Um, and, uh, you know, I had just, because of the way everyone else viewed it, because of the way we're conditioned to view these things in society, um, I would just misunderstand. I would just consider them like, um, you know, intense, uh, you know, uh, 
not so much tantrums, but uh, attention-seeking or anger outbursts. Um, like, that I was just having really strong reactions to things, but that there wasn't, it wasn't, no one was really looking at it from, like, the perspective of, but what's leading up to that? And then it started to make more sense. Um, and, and like, oh, okay, like, sensory stressors and emotional stressors, like, those things can play into that. Mm -hmm. Um, and then it all like triggers and everything I like I started thinking okay this usually happens when I'm triggered by like one specific thing but um it it's it's not just that thing that's making me upset it's um it's there, there's usually because there's been a chain of of things that happened leading up to that or I've already been stressed about something else and then that was like the final straw yeah um and uh also depends on like my spoon levels like how much energy how many spoons do I have at that point and am I did I go through them really fast that day and then it's like I just don't have any more spoons and um so now that just makes a lot more sense to me. Um, and yeah. I think it's one of the most misunderstood traits out there. Um, and uh, and even for the person who's having the meltdown, before you know about what meltdowns are, or maybe even before you know you're autistic, um, similarly to you, I also just thought like I had really bad um, anger issues even though when meltdowns happen to me it doesn't feel like anger at all it looks often like probably anger from an outsider's perspective or like you said even like a tantrum which I hate that word but yeah, like, I hate that word too but it, it does like what the stereotypical view of like someone having a tantrum over something would look like I feel like that's that's how it's perceived by other people yeah and, uh it makes you feel very like to me at least it would make me often feel like a failure because I'm like I'm an adult I should be able to handle situations or like something small would set me off but like you said it's not that small thing it it's there has to be like yeah it's an and it well yeah. it, like it builds in your head and then like you're already like, I feel like with myself, I get closer to close and closer to like bursting and then something happens that'll be the trigger. Yeah, yeah. for sure. Yeah, me too. That's super relatable. Um, do you find that like most times you're triggered by the same types of things or does it just depend on the day or the situation? I think... Um, it probably depends, although there are some common ones, like sounds, like, um, I mean, in this case, usually it doesn't lead to a full meltdown, like if I'm in public particularly, but I've noticed this thing about like, if I'm at, if I'm at a restaurant, um, 
it and I'm like having a bad sensory day or I'm just really like I'm low on spoons and um like I'm maybe I'm having lunch with someone and just the sound of them chewing can make me really like irritated and um and then like or the the sound of like forks and 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 knives and spoons and clanking and that and just <laughs> like um that can be something and so it's like even with like um I'm just like I don't know I'm, if I'm on the street or I'm at a store or something and like someone is making a loud noise or and and it's just freaking it's giving me overload and now it's been like I think with time and understanding this stuff more it's helped in terms of like maybe I'm a able to sometimes not get as angry because I know it's like okay it's not that they're trying to piss me off with this sound but I'm just overwhelmed already and it is overwhelming me further. But a lot of times, I think particularly when I was younger, uh, I would get upset and I would maybe sometimes uh, want to like start yelling at them or something just because I, and then it's a whole thing. Like that's the whole thing where, especially like, I don't know if you're in a mall, like if I'm in a mall with my mom and you know, this guy is making the sound that, okay, maybe he's not trying to, like, overwhelm me, but he's, like, doing it in a way, and he keeps doing it, and he's right here, and it's overwhelming me, and, like, I start getting upset, and I want to yell at him, and so by my mom, and by the guy, and by, like, anyone else there, it's going to be interpreted as, like, me just having a a behavior problem, or, or lashing out, or whatever. Wow, but that guy's a jerk. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um you know but it's like the way it's so interesting you know because now I really see this like I didn't see it this way before but now it's like I'm zooming out and I'm like oh um I can see how from the outside it gets seen like as just this behavior thing but there's no because we're not no one talks about it in media and movies and even in psychology school and, and everything. Yeah. I'm curious if, um, because a lot of times, a lot of the things that I've read about meltdowns uh, when related to autism, it's a lot of things say that, you know, you're not able to control it. It's just something that happens. And, but I have found that since I got my autism diagnosis, and one of the reasons that I went on the path to getting an autism diagnosis was because I was having so many meltdowns because I was in such a wild time that like my stress level was at a nine and a half most days. And like, it didn't take very much to like push me to that point. Um, but I found that once I got the autism diagnosis and once I started learning about meltdowns and really started like being cognizant of the fact that that's what's happening and really sort of like hyper analyzing myself when I felt like I was getting closer to that point or whatever. I feel like I have gotten a lot better about, um, in the moment being able to back myself down. It doesn't always work. Um, but I definitely feel like I have more control over it now just because I know what it is. There's a name to it. I've been able to sort of um, 
systemize it almost like in my brain, like, okay, this happens, then this happens, then this happens. Cause it seems to be always the same general pattern. Yeah. And if you can kind of like figure out a way to put a stop point at one, one place in there and how to like dial it back or self-talk to yourself, you know, do you find that's been something similar for you? Definitely. Yeah. I think especially like in the last year or so, cause like, uh, so like a few years ago is when I started like, like my therapist really introduced me to this whole um, neurodiversity paradigm and everything. But then it wasn't really until maybe one year ago or, that I started, I entered like the whole social media verse. Um, and then I ended up entering the podcast verse as well. Um, and it was really then that when I started reading so many different things from so many different autistic people, um, not just a few articles or whatnot, um, it was, it was, I re and then reading their experiences with meltdowns, it was, and then like coping with meltdowns and, and whatnot. And like the, the buildup stage. Um, and then I started understanding more the nuances of it and like, how to and then including how to um sometimes being able to stop it uh before it it happens or when uh, my therapist even calls it the rumble stage mm-hmm. um when it's like rumbling but it's not at the trigger point yet where it's like after that point you can't stop it but i have been able to identify the rumble stage now a couple of times and um what helps usually is if it's a situation like I'm getting annoyed at the guy outside making this noise, um, then I could like, the best thing is like to go upstairs or something or like remove myself from Mm -hmm. the situation if possible. Um, If it's an emotional thing, like I'm having these thoughts about this person and this thing that happened and like I'm getting really up upset and like I'm feeling this urge to like send a message to someone like maybe I shouldn't send this message because I'm really animated agitated um then I can something that I found really helpful for me lately just discovered this like within the last few months is recording my feelings like on an audio voice memo thing and then just keeping it on my phone and I don't really need to like do anything with it later but it really helps get all those feelings out and then by the time I'm done recording it's like I don't really have any more feelings to to let out and then it at that point it's not like they're not going to be building and then like be like almost causing a meltdown or then me like sending some message to someone which would really be me avoiding the feelings because they're so intense so this is a way of like feeling the feelings but without like in the right kind of channel without channeling them outwards right um and it doesn't always work because it's like only if I'm in a space where I'm able to do that like if I'm in public or something like I can't yeah do that um but it has been really helpful because I, I and my therapist had been telling me about the whole thing about like feeling the feelings. But then I had been thinking about, but like how, like 
how do I do that without them like just being in my head? And then that was just a perfect thing I came ended up coming up with. Yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. I that's a great way. That's a great tip for people out there. I've always been a writer. I like to write down my yeah. feelings, even before I knew I was autistic, when I was feeling upset about something, it always really helped me to just like write it yeah. out. Um, and now you saying that I'm like, huh, maybe that's kind of my way of doing that too, of getting stuff out because it is hard. Cause I think as autistic people, we have the tendency to have these like circular thoughts and ruminate and you don't really know. Um, like for me, at least, like, I don't know how to get a away from it how to get out of that cycle yeah, of like exactly. the thing just continually yeah. bothering me to yeah. it's like the standing next to the guy and he's bothering you bothering you bothering you yeah. except it's in your own mind and so you can't get away because yeah. you're like how do I it's in my mind I can't escape it so yeah that's that's a good tip of like recording yourself or just figuring out a way to to just get yeah. things out without piling it on someone else um yeah and then sometimes because what used to happen is like I I would sometimes be so upset about something and I would end up lashing out on someone that had nothing to do with the person like I'm, I'm really upset or the situation I'm really upset at but maybe they did something or didn't respond to a message or there was something that they did that that had nothing to do with me that I interpreted I was like they did that because they don't like me or they're upset or they're just ignoring me. And then I lash out at them and yeah. it has nothing to do. Yeah. Yeah. Which I feel like happens to non-autistic people too. Like, but I think it just happens to us like everything. It's like everything else is more, more amplified and I think and more, more amplified. Yeah. Where it's like, Oh, the I ability to regulate as well. I think. Yeah. Yeah, my regulation is really shitty, but I'm getting better at it at that too. Therapy helps a lot and like um just sort of being able to like honestly self-assess and be like, okay, what happened there and not be too hard on yourself when things do happen, being able to kind of look at it objectively and and sort yeah. of troubleshoot, I guess, you know. I find that I, you know, once I'm past the um the come like once I've relaxed like after the meltdown because there's even a stage after the meltdown that I'm coming down from the meltdown that I need to like I'm still overstimulated and I need to like relax and that's another really important thing that people need to understand is don't make the autistic person talk to you right away or communicate or explain the meltdown right away because they're still in a very fragile, overstimulated state. Mm -hmm. And um, so, you know, after that, once I'm, I'm like ready to express myself, I feel like I express myself. I can, I can, like you said, like I can write down my, my feelings and, and everything like that, what I feel, how I feel, what led to it, what happened, and outcomes and like perhaps mistakes that I made that I could learn from mm -hmm. um but yeah like it's once it's like during the meltdown I can't do that mm -hmm. even right after the meltdown I can't really do that so it's really important also for people to because that's another 
problem I've had with people lately in terms of my meltdowns is um, particularly non-autistic people um, is them not understanding that I need time. Like I'm overstimulated. The meltdown isn't something that I do to get attention or whatever. It's like, Oh, because you know what I did and how I made them like how they felt, which is valid. And, but it's like, they're not, it's never about like how I felt or like, you know, like I ruined their day or I ruined their trip or this or that, but it's like, yeah, but how about me? Like I had the meltdown that didn't feel good either. I, I was in bed all day the next day that didn't feel good either. Um, because it's because it's this culture like the way it's seen by society it's seen as an anger outburst it's seen as purely behavior well when it's not mm-hmm. yeah. yeah I don't know about you but like the last thing I'm trying to get is attention like mm-hmm. I meltdowns to me are so mortifying I'm just I'm so embarrassed even like most of the time during one I don't really have the wherewithal to like gauge how I'm feeling but like immediately after there's all sorts of guilt and shame and embarrassment and I'm just like oh oh I wish that hadn't happened like it's just it's not I that is one misunderstanding that it's like I wish people knew that it's it's definitely not ever for attention it's probably the opposite for the person who had the meltdown they're probably feeling like really ashamed like I feel really bad like yeah. I, I just imagine like these people that are like saying these things to me, like about uh you know, making me explain like saying how how I ruined this or that or whatever. Like, do they think I, I just keep thinking they have this picture of me like laughing and having fun or whatever, or just being a uh like I'm a teenager like doing prank calls or whatever. Yeah. like that's not what this is it's like I'm like I'm probably even more stressed out and more overwhelmed and anxious than them like yeah oh oh for sure yeah Yeah. I think so and yeah yeah afterwards is is a rough time like you said you're you're exhausted emotionally physically even um there's a lot of regret involved and a lot of kind of shame like what really helps you recover I'd say giving myself space and time to rest um like just reminding myself and I think it's been better now like reminding myself that it's okay like you know, if I not if I don't have anything that I have to absolutely do for the rest of that day, that it's okay for me to just relax and not do anything. I'm really allow myself, really allow my brain really um time to to recover from the meltdown and you know also being able to set boundaries like if someone wants to talk to me or whatever being able to feel confident and like my own self that I I have to prioritize my comfort over there so it's like if I don't want to talk to them I have to lay that boundary that I don't want to talk and just basically give myself that time and space um 
which I know for a lot of us isn't always possible, like depending on when these meltdowns happen, mm -hmm. um, which is really unfortunate. And that's why we can end up in kind of a meltdown loop sometimes. But when I'm able to, if I can just give myself that space is mm -hmm. probably the most helpful thing. Yeah. Yeah. Same. I think that's probably true for most, for most of us is just needing space and time to recover. I often can't talk after a meltdown anyway. Like my, I have a very, yeah. I don't, it's like a nonverbal sort of situation where I, yeah. I sometimes, that happens to me sometimes, yeah. Happens to you sometimes too. Yeah. It's like, sometimes it'll last just like a few minutes. Sometimes it'll be a couple of hours where I just like, I couldn't get words out even if I tried. So just like, yeah. don't bother. And I hate that too, because when you're around someone who's like, most often it's my partner and now they know, but like when they're trying to like, <laughs> when they're trying to like debrief after something like that happens and you're just, and you like literally can't talk and it just, and you're so overwhelmed still. And you just, you feel sort of like a jerk. Like you, like, you're like, I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to ignore you. I'm not trying to yeah. like, feel like act like a jerk or anything. Like I literally can't talk right now. Um, I think having people around you that understand you um, is a big help. I was going to say as well, having like a support system, like I have a, now I have like maybe two or three friends that are actually neurodivergent as well. Mm -hmm. And it's no surprise to me that the neurodivergent friends are always the ones that understand me the, the, the most. Like they know, like, they're just like supportive, like, my God, I, I understand. I like, I understand how you're feeling. Um, you know, I'm, I'm here, I'm, you know, ready to talk. I support you. And, and it's just like, when they say the right thing, they say like what you really need to hear after a meltdown, at least in, in, in my case, in most cases. Um, and, uh, with the neurotypical friends, as much as I know that their intentions are always positive and they want to help, they're just, because they weigh, they work in a neurotypical way, they're always giving me like neurotypical advice and they don't realize that they're doing that, but it's always like, sometimes it ends up triggering me more because they're like, oh, maybe you should um work on these things or whatever. And it just, that makes me, that's kind of a microaggression because it's <laughs> like, I cannot control. These are like emotional reactions that my brain has it's not something that I can control yeah you're like oh okay I didn't think about that like think about that oh yes. yeah oh, okay thank you for that tip yeah. yeah it's like if it were that easy then this wouldn't then be happening would happen. yeah <laughs> yeah it's like when someone's depressed and the person who's never been depressed is like oh well just you know get up and exercise every day and the person with depression is like you clearly don't understand what depression is yeah. <laughs> yeah so it's kind of like the same the same vibe where it's like giving giving advice on something that you don't really I mean they're trying to help they're trying to help and I know that and I don't and now I understand and it's not like like I don't yeah I don't I because I don't get upset because I know like deep down they're trying to help but it's still like I like, better, yeah I, I'm better <laughs> like, okay these are the people that I probably shouldn't talk to in these situations and these are the people that I should yeah so now it's just I have a better idea of like who those people are okay so um 
I want to talk about what are kind of the things that you wish people understood about meltdowns. I know we've sort of like briefly touched on some of those things, but let's just sort of like list, list them off. Like what are some things that if you could educate people? Sure. Yeah. Um, so first of all, um, like we touched on a little bit, they're not tantrums. They are not attention seeking. Um, they are not simply outbursts. Uh, they, they are technically an outburst, but it's an outburst of something that has been building. And that's the most important thing for people to understand. And, you know, when I say there's too much focus on behavior, um, a good analogy that I like to use um, around that is, is to think of the behavior of the meltdown as a smoke alarm or as a fire alarm. It's, it's an alarm indicating that there is smoke or fire in the building. And so, and what, what do we do when there is a smoke alarm? We usually call the fire department to extinguish the fire instead of just silencing the alarm. Now, what it feels like, once I started, like, figuring out, like, the whole thing with, like, ABA and stimming and this whole emphasis that these therapies, certain therapies have on prohibiting kids from stimming and, and um, reprimanding meltdowns and stuff. It has just, it makes me think of someone smashing a, a smoke alarm mm -hmm. in order to silence it when there's an actual fire in the building. And it just drives me crazy because it's like, I mean, it's something so, it should be so clear to people. Like, why don't we think about what's causing the child to be so overwhelmed or even the adult to be so overwhelmed um, mm -hmm. and have this reaction? But it's just, I think, you know, it's another cultural thing that we're ingrained to focus on the behavior instead of the you know what what's leading to it um so yeah that's an analogy I like to always I use. love that that's yeah. brilliant that's a great way to to look at it for sure thanks yeah um yeah and and so I think I think it's really like that's the main um the main thing with meltdowns is it's always and it, it can vary like it's always from a trigger or from a buildup of stuff. And of course, I think, you know, things like not having enough sleep can play into this as well. But um, it's important to always look at like what's going on in the person's life or, or maybe that week particularly, or like have there been like what happened earlier that day, like, has this been something that's been building and what's the real issue that we need to talk about? Because it won't do, uh, it doesn't do any good to, in fact, it can make things worse. That's another thing that people don't understand a lot of times is that it can make things worse to punish the 
person for the meltdown or make them feel bad for the meltdown that they already feel bad about that people don't mm-hmm. seem to grasp um and then that's what's because like they're feeling worse it's like you're not addressing like what's actually making them feel bad and then they're feeling worse on top of that yeah and then it's a cycle of meltdowns and then it's like oh my god this child has like a behavior problem or whatever and oh my gosh I just read like a tweet from someone I think in the last week or two and I believe she was a psychologist perhaps or, or a psychiatrist um from the context of her tweet because she was saying um someone just referred an 11 year old autistic ADHD or um to to me uh saying they had behavioral issues um this girl and then she said this girl does not have behavioral issues the problem lies with the environment uh the neurotypical environment um teachers and classmates around her and mm-hmm. so I'm just like yeah like this this is probably happening every day all over the world. I know this is happening every day all over the world where these kids are like getting, and thank goodness in this case, it was like the the person they referred the kid to was actually like someone that understands about neurodiversity. Um, but like, I know there's so many cases where they they probably get referred to some neurotypical behavior specialist or whatnot Uh and then it's just like I can't even imagine like the stress and the burnout from just being like gaslit and in back because I mean I've I've had that but like you know you know I did have a, a, a good support probably a much you know I was fortunate to have a much better support system around me than than others so I mean it to just think of that like amplified it's like so dumb yeah 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 I think when we're talking about kids especially um I feel like there is a lot more misinterpretation that goes on because kids are also often not really able to, I mean, they don't have that self-awareness yet to where they can be like, this is what happened, or this is what upset me, or this is, you know, and especially if you're dealing with an autistic child, like as autistic people in general, um, we can sometimes have trouble distinguishing our emotions anyway, like even in adulthood, I know I have a problem with that sometimes where I'm like, I'm feeling a thing, but I don't really know what it is exactly. I just, feel it in my body or I don't know where it's coming from or um, sometimes two emotions can feel very similar and you're like am I what is this thing (laughs) like that's going on like so when you're dealing with a kid the only way that they know how to communicate often is through behavior and when people are just taking behavior at face value it can be really you know not a good path to go down with a kid and it's really it's too bad that sometimes things get punished and yeah and it's it's really because it's like this and I've realized this recently too it's it's because of the culture it's because there is like there's a culture a very behavior focused culture yeah um, 
in in the U.S., but I think over all over the world as well, in a lot of places, um, particularly Western countries. Um, but yeah, no, I think it's like in because I used to because I I think a lot of people don't understand that it they think it's a matter because I've been told this so many times like trying to talk to neurotypical friends about this stuff they think it's a matter of like people just not knowing and and that oh it's like you know this this principle just doesn't know or, or that principle just doesn't know like they speak of it as if it were just like one an issue as if it were like a scattered issue uh with with just a few schools or whatever and it's like they're not realizing like it's a systemic issue and that doesn't mean that it's like every school because of course you know there are more neurodiversity affirming places, but they're not like, it's a very small percentage, like of the total. And it's, it's not just the fact, like, it's not about like, I mean, it starts with like educating, like if you have access, like if I can go here, if I can go here, if I can go there, like, it's great. Like the more people I listen to my podcast, the more people that I can go talk to um, and whatnot, like it's good, but like, it is such a big fight and I don't know, it's just one of those things that I don't think my neurotypical friends understand, like sometimes the size of it. And then they'll say things like, oh, but you have to see that it's like, it's not because they're trying to be mean, it's just because they're thinking this way. And I'm like, well, the problem is because they're thinking that way. And I'm not saying that they're trying to be mean, that they're doing that intentionally. Obviously they don't know. Yeah. But it's because of the, the way they've been ingrained to think this way. Like that's what I'm getting at. Yeah. Um anyways, yeah, that was uh a little ADHD tangent. But, <laughs> yeah. Those are very welcome here on this podcast, as you know. Yeah. Um yeah, I mean, going into the whole side side of this for kids and stuff could be a whole other topic I could definitely talk about for a long time being a parent of two neurodivergent kids. So yeah, I've definitely seen a lot of uh, misunderstandings from others and even, you know, admittedly from myself as a parent, uh, especially before I knew my kids were autistic and ADHD and before I knew I was and like, yeah, yeah. Um, and you're right. It is like a societal and systemic issue. It's really, yeah. But I'm glad that there are so many of us talking about it now. There's so many people making podcasts and talking about their experiences. And I feel like it's really opening a lot of doors, you know, and a, starting a lot of important conversations, even though there are a lot of people who are like, Oh, everyone thinks they're autistic now because everyone, the, oh you know, God, I hate that rhetoric. the TikTok I... trend. And I'm like, no, yeah, no, no. Not, it's not like when has no disclosing that you're autistic ever been anything, gotten you like <laughs> anything positive? Like, we're just trying to educate people on how mistreated we've been. Yeah. I mean, that's why we're talking about it now. But these people, like, 
I mean, it just baffles me. I even did an episode on it recently um, on like how how crazy it is, like how uncomfortable people get with disabled people out in the open speaking about their disabilities um, in a more, either in a more positive note or trying to advocate for how they want to be accommodated um, instead of just, you know, hiding in the closet and feeling ashamed and letting uh, the medical system have full authority and full say about, like, our experiences. Yeah. And, like, saying that people were listening to us more than doctors or something, which I feel like is, like, the furthest thing from the truth. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's the complete opposite. People have been listening to professionals who, not to discredit all doctors or anything like that, um, but there are a lot of them that just haven't been really educated. Like they're not taught this stuff in medical school. They're, they're given authority to speak on it, but they're usually not taught much about neurodiversity. And then uh, they consequently end up not knowing much about neurodiversity and then it just baffles me like these are are the folks that society would rather listen to um than people with actual lived experience yeah and it's not like we're going around um, diagnosing each other but I think if you hear an experience that you heavily relate to and you're like, that's a good starting point that's like a clue to be like oh no. maybe I should explore this thing further I hear people talk about stuff all of the time that I don't relate to at all. And it doesn't make me be like, no one's influencing me to think that I have other things that I don't have. Mm -hmm. But it's like, when you do hear of an experience that you're like, oh, that thing, I, I do that too. And I relate to that also. And then it sparks a thing. I mean, yeah. act like you see one TikTok video and you're like, oh, I'm autistic because that person does this. And so do I, that's definitely not how it goes mm. for anyone I've ever talked to who's yeah. discovered their own neurodivergence. It's been like that thing sparks it, but then you research the hell out of that thing and do your due diligence because for one, that's how our brains work anyway, but also like yeah. no one's just taking this thing at face value and being like oh I saw one video on TikTok or two or three videos and it's just like dumb when people talk about and, that it's yeah like, it's just it makes me frustrated for sure yeah. and it's like and another thing that they're ignoring is that well you know like ADHD brains as a lot of people know thrive on dopamine like why do you think there's so many ADHDers on on social media social media is like a dopamine slot machine yeah <laughs> the dopamine factory yeah like <laughs> why and so like and no one's making that association with like hyperactivity and dopamine it's all about oh social media and oh, trends <laughs> yeah i don't know Ugh. it's frustrating but hey this is maybe the only time anyone will ever say i'm trendy so that's I'll take it. <laughs> I've never been trendy. Yes. Yeah. No, that's what drives me crazy. It's like, when has it been? What do they think we're like getting prizes every week or something? Like, I don't know. We're not. And disclosing your autism is, is super awkward. Um, it is, um, 
it's extremely vulnerable and intimidating, especially in certain spaces and with certain people. So it's not like, you know, just because you and I can openly talk to each other as autistic people and other people tune in who relate and stuff. It's not like I'm out in the world just screaming from the mountaintops that I'm autistic. Um, Most of the time, if I'm disclosing, it's a very, it's a big decision. Like Mm -hmm. if, if you're looking, you know, for a job or if you're making new friends or if you're, you know, like in any situation where you're like, should I tell this thing? Like it's, it's not a thing that we, I mean, some of us are more comfortable disclosing than others for sure, which there's no problem with that at all. And there's no problem with people who never want to disclose at all. It's your own journey and your own preference. But I think that people think that this is a big attention seeking thing, you know, just like meltdowns where it's like, Oh, I'm autistic. It's so cool. And it's like, no, like I really have to think about who I tell if I want to tell these people, what, what will it be like if they know, are they going to see me differently? Are they going to approach me differently? Like, cause a lot of times that is, that's what happens. People get awkward or they're like, uh, yeah, exactly. They don't know what to say. They like freeze. This is they, why yeah. I'm very selective on who I tell. I have to like put a lot of thought on it into it. Like if I'm going to tell this person, um because it, and it's usually I'll think of it like okay if it's if I'm gonna have a few minutes to explain this to them um after telling them then okay but if I'm if it's just like quick interaction and I'm not gonna have any time I'm not gonna bother because they're I know 80 to 90 percent sure they're gonna have some kind of like either like they'll just freeze and you can tell like they just don't know what to say like yeah. they're they're so flabbergasted that you know this is what autism can look like and and this is even more this isn't even you know like they they can it's not even like I'm a like there there are others that that are like look even more like so-called not autistic than I do but even myself um am not really like off the bat when I meet people I don't really come across as the stigmatized idea of autism that they have um same (laughs) and so yeah it's like and then either it's like that freeze thing or they say autumn oh I had no idea and I'm like well how would you it's like it doesn't have a look it's like it's like them saying if like you know I tell them that um I'm gay and they're like oh I had no idea yeah well how would you know do I have like a yeah or something Um, a t-shirt we're supposed to wear yeah it's yeah yeah that's definitely an experience to be talking to someone and having them be like yeah oh uh, uh and then the whole thing gets awkward and talking to people already or feel bad or it's like yeah. oh it's like you just told them you have cancer yeah oh you know? it's like no yeah cancer. Like, i'm all right i'm all right i'm okay don't worry about me I'm not dying yeah. don't worry <laughs> <laughs> yeah but yeah that was a a good little tangent to go on uh, disclosure problems yeah could do a whole episode on that one for sure but yeah so uh anything else you want to add as we wrap up um I think 
just I, I I think I just wanted to say thanks again for having me on. Uh, this has been a great pleasure. You know, I, as I said, like your podcast was pretty much the first one that I started listening to, and so it was really great to to have you on yet last week and to come on your podcast. And maybe we can do more episodes in the future. Um, yeah, for sure. Yeah, and uh, everyone that wants to check out my podcast unpacking neuroqueerness uh it's on spotify and apple podcasts um check it out lots of great episodes lots of great guests i have very cool very uh, a wide variety of very interesting neurodistinct guests including melissa so yeah thanks again everybody go listen i'll link it in the show notes too so people can just tap on through awesome. spotify um, yeah, so yeah, thanks for coming on. And I'm always like the most awkward episode ender. You know, if you listen to my podcast, you know, I'm like, uh, how do I end things? So we will just end things by saying it was a pleasure. You're great. And uh, I hope to have you on again some other hey, day. You as well. Yeah. All right, you guys. I hope you enjoyed listening to that episode as much as I enjoyed recording that episode. George had a lot of great insights into meltdowns and how, you know, he personally experiences them. And I love talking about this topic just because it is something that needs to be discussed more often because it is so misunderstood and, you know, there is a stigma surrounding meltdowns in general. So yeah, it's an interesting topic. Meltdowns are ultimately what led me, you know, down the path, started my journey down the path toward getting my own autism diagnosis. So uh, yeah, shout out to Meltdowns for that. They're not useful for many things, but I guess <laughs> they were useful for that. So anyway, you guys, thanks for listening. As always, if you want more content, go ahead and hop on over to the Patreon. It is $5 a month. You are going to get some bonus episodes every month. You are going to get access to the Discord server where we have a cool little group of neurodivergent I can't talk. Neurodivergent people over there just hanging out online together. It's great. It's a great little supportive community. Um, and yeah, follow on Instagram. And I think that's it. I'm going to wrap this on up with a neat little bow. And uh, I will talk to you guys next time. Thanks for listening. Bye.